to turn in your worship guide to page 12. Uh, if you are following along with a Bible, uh, you're welcome and invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, or in your worship guide on page 12. And I'm going to read these words from the book that we love, and I'm going to invite you to listen uh, with ears to hear and then respond uh, as directed following the reading of the Scripture. Let's listen together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize that as we come here, we do come from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us come here and our cup is overflowing, as the psalmist says. Others of us come here and we are barely hanging on by a thread emotionally and in some cases physically. And Lord, I do pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here uh, uh, with all being well with our soul or whether we are here in a state of deep distress, Lord, whether we are here with healthy bodies or whether we are here with badly damaged and hurting uh, and painful bodies, Lord, whether we are here believing and trusting in you or whether we are here bearing all kinds of objections about who you are and what you do, God, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you get, grant us ears to hear? Would you grant us minds to perceive the ways in which you are at work in our lives today? 
Would you show us the grace of Jesus Christ in a fresh and powerful and effective way today? Because we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, We are about to finish our sermon series on the book of Revelation, but we've elected to uh, allow our associate pastor to uh, conclude that series. And while I sort of alternate with him a little bit, uh, I wanted to address a couple of kind of topical matters. Now, I want to say that when Ironworks was created, when, when we were, you know, originally considering what this church might be, I want to tell you about a priority that we had and we still have today. And that priority is for you to feel absolutely confident in bringing the people that you care most about, right, who, who might have a, had a bad experience with the church. You have people in your life who you care about and you want to come to church and they've had a bad experience. We want you to feel comfortable bringing them to Ironworks, right? And one of the decisions that we made early on, right, I have to credit my, my lovely wife for this, uh, was to not pass an offering plate. Actually, it was a bit of controversy, believe it or not. And occasionally I get complaints. You know, why don't you pass an offering plate? And I just blame it on her, right? So the woman that God gave me did this. Um, but, you know, she was really insightful, and she, you know, we had a lot of reasons for it. But one of those reasons was that we wanted you to never have to worry that if you were bringing one of your, you know, friends who's had a bad experience with the church to Ironworks, that the pastor would be trying to raise money for a Gulfstream G6, right, which is a fine airplane, so I affirm that choice in Jet, but uh, I will never try to fund that because of you, okay? Some, tr- some pastors have been successful in doing so, and I resent that as a minister, though I affirm the choice as a pilot. Um, I will never try to do that for you, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to um, talk a lot about money. And so for a long time, when the church started, I refused to address the subject of money from the pulpit, right, out of that reason. But there was a second priority, right? So I have this priority that you would feel comfortable bringing your friends to church. But I have a second priority that was kind of at odds with that. And that second priority is your joy. So if you've been around Ironworks for any period of time, you know that I talk a lot about my mission and one of the measures of success that I have, right, is that because of your time here, because of your sitting under uh, this preaching, your participation in home groups, Uh, you're serving on Sunday mornings, because of your involvement with the life of the church, one of the ways that I measure success is that you have a deeper joy in God more so than when you first started coming, right? That's how I measure success. That is what I want to happen. And what I discovered in my travels, right, learning the ropes of ministry, you know, doing all these things, what I discovered is that by me not addressing the topic of money and possessions, that there was a lack of joy, right? That, that you were suffering a lack of joy in ways that could only be fixed by addressing this topic, right? So on one hand, I have, don't want to talk about money because of all those, you know, pastors that are just trying to get their golf streams. And then on the other hand, there's people are struggling with fear and worry and sadness and anxiety, right? Oftentimes connected to money. And so what did I do? Well, we ended up saying, I'll address it about one to two times a year. Um, and so I just want to tell you, if you're visiting with us this morning, I, I want to tell you right now, my goal is not to get you to, to give your money, right? And in fact, we don't, we don't really do that here. We say giving is really focused on those who call this their home church. It's not my goal. We just made budget last year. I'm not feeling that pressure at all. Um, and so I want to ask you, if you could perhaps help, you know, give me a little bit of the 
freedom of the doubt, that I am here really exclusively for your joy, okay? So now, having said that, I want to tell you about an argument my wife and I were having the other day, okay? So we were having this argument. We went to Applebee's, and um, we, you know, I had gotten there before she did, and I just assumed that we were going to get the two for 30 meal, you know? And it used to be two for 20 now with inflation, you know? Thanks. Thanks to inflation. It was two for 30. So I just went ahead and ordered an appetizer, you know, that came with it. And then she came and she said, oh, I don't want the two for 30 meal. And I was like, well, too bad. I already ordered the appetizer. And she said, well, you know, if we just pay for the appetizer, we're not going to go broke. And one of the children kind of half overheard her saying this, you know, and the child was like, we're going to go broke. Oh, no. What's happening? And it's interesting, right? Because I don't know if your family is like this, but I've noticed that my children have from the, from the smallest of ages, have always worried that we're going to go broke. They, they bring it up frequently. And, you know, I can remember bringing that up. And it's interesting to me because even from the youngest ages, when you have really no concept and conception of how money works and how economies work and things, people worry, even small children, about whether there will be provision, right? Um, now, I won't tell you who was right in that argument, and I won't tell you how it ended, but... You can, you can ask Chrissy if you want to about that. Um, moral of the story is don't order the two for 30 meal before your spouse gets there, right? And you'll avoid this, this whole thing, okay? Um, so yeah, we find that there is a, a consistent worry, even in small children. It's interesting, I have a couple folks in my life who live extraordinarily lavish lifestyles, right? One of them just got a Rolls Royce. So he drives a Rolls Royce, you know, which was pretty cool to pull up to these restaurants in the Rolls Royce. And I got to ride in it, you know, a few couple of months back. And he lives an extraordinary lavish lifestyle. And you know what he said to me? He said to me on more than one occasion, he said, I love my lifestyle, but I worry all the time. I worry about it coming crashing down all the time. And that's interesting, right? So here you have, you know, a young child, and you have someone who lives an extraordinary lavish lifestyle, and they're really the same, that they worry all the time about where will there be provision. Uh, a frequent part of my ministry is praying for, for you, right, in, in times of need. Will there be provision? I pray for that, probably one of the top five prayer requests that I get and that we engage in and that we're really happy to pray for. And it's actually pretty cool uh, to do so and to see it happen. So I find that pastorally, right, pastorally, your relationship to money and possessions is a topic that deeply affects your joy, right? So then the question becomes, well, does our Lord Jesus Christ, does the one who rules the universe, the one in whom all things hold together, does he have anything at all to say about this topic? Turns out he does. So uh, this passage, Jesus gets into uh, some counsel that he gives to us about how we relate to money and possessions. And one, one way to say it is, what does it look like to walk with Jesus Christ and to have a proper relationship with money and possessions? And so what I want to do is I want to make some brief observations from this passage uh, and to try to lead you into a deeper level of joy this year and a deeper level of faith, particularly around your relationship with money and possessions. So I'm not going to go exactly in order in the passage. Um, so... Uh, You'll see me bounce around a little bit, but I want to make a few different observations. The first one I want to do, first one I want you to, to note in this passage, right? We'll get this one out of the way. This is actually one of the, the nicer ones. Is that the first thing that I want to point out is that 
Jesus Christ says, he declares the character of God to be abundant and lavish, right? The very first thing I want you to understand when you think about the Bible's teaching of money and possessions, it's like the Bible, God, Jesus Christ says, you need to understand God's lavishness, his abundance. Where do we see that? Well, he's talking about folks being afraid of, of what they will eat and what they will drink. And what does he say? Verse 32, he says, you know, the Gentiles are always seeking after these things, but your father knows that you need them, right? And then he goes on to say in uh, verse 30, he says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, meaning this is a commodity. If God treats his commodities like the grass of the field, right? If he treats the grass of the field uh, this way, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? right? He talks about, you know, the, the splendor of clothing Solomon and all of Solomon's wardrobe and, and all of these things. And he says, God is abundant, that God will, will give you abundance. He wants to establish that as an operating principle. Uh, the second thing he wants to do is he wants to point up for you the superiority of heaven, where God's abundance will be most revealed. And so he does that in this first paragraph. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Meaning that if, you, if you, all of your time and effort is invested in this life, he's saying it's a bad investment because it easily goes away. You know, my friend who was, you know, has the Rolls Royce, I mean, he, you know, he's not wrong in thinking that it could all come crashing down because it often does, right? That, that's actually like commonly the case. It comes crashing down, whether it be due to decay uh, such as moth and rust, or whether it be due to sin, such as thieves coming in and uh, emptying your bank account through some, you know, some means. And he says, instead, focus your investment on heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Meaning that when you invest, when you put your effort and your time and your energy and your gifts and your passion into investing in the life that is to come, Right? It, never, it will never perish. It, it will never be stolen from you. It will never be taken. Right? So that's the first thing I want to establish. As you think about this subject, you have to come to this subject understanding that the character of God, the nature of God, is that he's not stingy. Right? I, want you, I want you to see that. How much more will he clothe you? He compares your wardrobe to that of Solomon. Right? And Solomon lived the most lavish lifestyle in all of Scripture. And he says, you know... Uh, the lilies of the field were not clothed like Solomon, right? They will not, you know, Solomon in all his splendor, right? Uh, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So uh, that's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out is that as you approach the subject of money and possessions, one of the most crucial things to understanding, first we see God is lavish and abundant. That's his character. The second thing is, is that Money and possessions often is a matter of your worship, right? That when you think about this subject, you are not thinking about it entirely in the abstract. What we're talking about is how you worship, right? Where do we see that? Well, what, what Jesus will say here in, the, um, in our worship guides, it's the third paragraph. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, which you know, Greek, the Greek word there is really the, the word for possessions, right? Sometimes translated mammon, 
And so what is he saying? He's saying the topic that we're engaging in is primarily a question of how will you worship, right? How will you, you know, before whom will you bow down? And, you know, what's interesting is that uh, Christ never calls money evil, you know, and in the scriptures, we know, for example, that um, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God actually says, he's like, I'm going to take you from Egypt, and I'm going to bring you into a land where you will build great houses and where you will have an absolute abundance, right? And we see that Solomon was clothed in abundance. We see counsel to the rich in, in the letters. You know, God, God does not say that money is evil, right? It's a common misconception, right? Uh, money is the root of all evil. You might have heard that. It's actually missing a word. You know what it is? It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil in the ESV's translation, right? So money is not evil. However, in our hearts, what frequently happens is the way that we relate to money and possessions is a relationship of worship, right? We, we look to it for security, right? We look to it for comfort, right? And if we were to lose it, we would lose, we would feel as though we've lost everything, when in reality, what we have in Jesus Christ is everything, right? You can take all this world, but give me Jesus, says the great hymn. And so that is, I think, at the heart of what Jesus is saying is that as you go about your lives, as you conduct business, as you have employment, as you think about how to spend the resources that you have, be on guard because your hearts will always be inclined to relate to money as a God, right? That, that is just the way it is. You, you will be tempted to relate to money as a God, as a source of comfort, right, as an enabler of all the things that you long for. And what Jesus is saying is that, you know, that, that is the absolute heart of folly to do that. It's the absolute heart of folly. And what we're finding, and, you know, even in my friend who, uh, you know, lives this lavish lifestyle, right, he's, he lives in a state of continual anxiety, even though he pulls up in the, in the Rolls Royce. He lives in a state of continual anxiety. And I think for good reason, because he is aware of the, the reality of the first paragraph here. So that's the second thing, right? First thing is God is abundant. That's who he is. The second thing is that our relationship with money often becomes a relationship of worship, right? And then the third thing uh, that I think is the most intriguing thing is, is that the way that you relate to money, right, and the way, whether it's worship or something else, right, whether you relate to money as a God that you bow down before or whether you relate to it as a means through which you will live out your faith in Jesus Christ, one of the biggest factors that determine that, it's really interesting language, is what you look at, right? Isn't that intriguing, this whole statement? He says, you know, he starts off talking about uh, laying up treasures in heaven, he talks about, you know, invest in heaven, don't invest in earth. It's a bad investment to invest in earth. And then in the second paragraph, he uses this really intriguing language where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? When I, when I read this years ago, I actually thought he was just changing subjects, right? Jesus, you know, bounces around. But of course, this entire passage, right, the entire thing from first verse in our, in our worship guide to the end is all about possessions, right? It's all about it. And so I, there's, no, there's no concept under which I think he's changing subjects. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is filled with light, 
that will direct the course of your life. But on the other hand, if your eye is filled with darkness, he says, how great the darkness. How much will that affect the course of your life? So what is he saying there? Well, as I pondered this and and read commentaries and and tried to figure it out, um, what I believe he's talking about is what do you look at for security in your life, right? He's, he's talking about what I would call the eyes of faith, right? What do, you, what do you look at? What do you daydream? What do you work for? What do you labor for? What do you draw comfort from, right? What, where, where are your eyes focused, right? And if, if your eyes are focused on the security of money and possessions, he says, then your life is going to be darkness, It's going to be great darkness. On the other hand, if your eyes are focused on the promises of God, such as the one that we read in this passage, if they are focused on the provision of God and on God's character and on his history, uh, both in the scriptures and in our lives, right, your, your life will be full of light, right? And I think that, you know, what Jesus is calling us to do and why this matters so much, right, is that, you know, as we said, God is absolutely abundant. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not worried about the dip in the crypto market, right? Or about any of these other things. He's not worried about impending economic collapse. So that happens from time to time. You know, he's not worried about any of these things. But what he is concerned about is the collapse of your faith, right? And that is, that is a very real thing that, we, that I'm sadly seeing with increasing frequency these days, right? And so... One of the areas that it happens in is in the things that keep you up at night, right? You know, in the, in the, in the matters that keep you concerned and keep the heart beat going faster than it should, in the things that raise your blood pressure, in the things that impact your sleep, in the areas that, that press in on you and cause the, the stress hormones to be flowing with increasing severity, Right? These are the things that he says is where your faith will either be nurtured or destroyed. And so as we consider this, he's saying, you know, first, understand my abundance. Right? Secondly, understand that this is a matter of worship. And then thirdly, attend to your eyes. Right? Look at what you are feeding yourself. And friends, I wanted to kind of pivot this around underscoring what Pastor Sam was doing last week. If you didn't listen to last week's sermon... Um, you know, I encourage you to go back and check that out, right? Sam was talking about what it is that we feed ourselves on all week, right? And he was talking a lot about social media and uh, media in general, right, as being the voice of the dragon. Really great message that I commend to you, right? And, but I ask you this question, you know, some of you don't do the social media stuff, and that's great. Um, but what do you feed on day to day? And I'll tell you that I am becoming increasingly concerned with what I perceive, and I don't know this, you know, we don't have like extraordinary analytics, but I perceive, right, there to be a reduction in general, even in Ironworks, in our reading and meditating on Holy Scripture, right? Now, maybe that's not true for you. All of you are looking like, you know, shocked. Aaron, I don't, I'm shocked that you would say this, Right? Have you been like, have we been, you know, tapping my phone? What are you doing? And the answer is no, we don't do any of that, right? Of course, right? But what I, but I can tell because I hear bits and pieces, right? And I know my own heart and my own life. I can, I can tell, and I can tell from other causes that there is, it seems like a general reduction 
in what Reformed theology calls the means of grace, right? One of which is reading the scriptures, the second of which is prayer. And friends, I will tell you that as you're listening to these words of, of, of our Lord, and as you survey your own life, right, I will tell you that I would expect, right, an increase in worry, for example, which is what's highlighted in this passage, an increase in worry to correlate with a reduction in meditating on Scripture, Right, just right, and and there, we should ex, we should understand that because if you open your phone and you go to, you know, one of these social media services, what are you going to hear? The sky is falling, right? the world is collapsing. It's all on you. You better crush it today. You better make it happen, right? It's you know bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. All these places, all of the message of our culture would lead you to a state of insecurity and worry, right? But when you open the pages of Holy Scripture, what do we read this morning? Do not worry about what you will eat, right? Do not worry about what you will wear. For God knows that you need these things and the Gentiles seek after all of them, right? And if he clothed Solomon in this way, if he clothes the lilies in this way, how much more will he prosper you, O you of little faith. How much more will he pour out his goodness and his abundance on you? What a contrast to what we read day after day after day after day. So friends, you know, it's interesting as I was thinking about this and, and the uncomfortability often of talking about this topic, you know, the very first exhortation I have for you is don't, you know, write a big fat check today, though if you want to do that, I'm okay with it, right? But that's not the, that's really not the point, right? The point is Perhaps you might reconsider your commitment to Scripture this year. Perhaps you might reconsider what you are feeding your mind, your imagination, your eyes this year. Could you reconsider that? Right? Could you reconsider the diet of information you have? And could you perhaps pivot somewhat to listening more to the voice of God? I mean, isn't this a good word this morning? Right? Isn't the voice of our Father saying, don't fear, trust me, I'm good, I'm lavish, I'm abundant, you don't need to focus on tomorrow, you can simply live today, you can focus all of your attention on the things that are before you, you don't need to lie awake at night thinking about tomorrow, right, because why? Because I'm with you, you're not on your own. You don't, you don't provide for yourself. It's not all up to you to see that things don't come crashing down. Isn't that a good word? Isn't that a better word than the stuff that we read every day in our various forms of media? So that's the first thing. You know, I wanna, and I want to give you a second one. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, what, what Christ is after this morning, what I'm after, and the reason why I'm addressing this topic more than I might otherwise, is because what is at stake here is your peace. You will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Who's he talking about? The one whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So that's the first thing is reconsider the diet that you have, right? The diet of information. The second thing uh, that I'd like to say kind of highlighted to that is reconsider your relationships, right? And this goes along with the reading of Scripture. 
So for example, uh, Hebrews 3.13, part of the problem that you have, I just want to talk to those of you who have really either not been interested in doing Bible reading or you just don't do it anymore. I want to give you a tip, free Darren tip this morning. There's one thing that you can do that will make the scriptures come alive a lot more in your life than they presently do. Right? You want to know what that is? Anyone interested in this? If you, you, know, you say, look, Darren, it's hard to read the Bible. I've got no time. I've got a lot of kids. I've got a lot of bills. I've got all these things going on, and I just can't quite connect with the Scriptures. There's one thing that you can do that will dramatically change the way that you feel about that. You know what it is? Do it in community. Right? Find someone with whom you can talk to about their Scriptures. Hey, I was reading Matthew chapter 6 today. You know, God is dealing with me in the issue of fear, worry, and trust. I challenge you to do that. Find one person in this church, right, and, and, and do so with a degree of vulnerability, right? That's a key to success. And find someone who's interested also in reading the scriptures and say, can we just like text about this, you know, once a week? Can we text about what we're reading and what we're learning and can we encourage and pray for one another? I, I swear to you, if you will try that, you will have a different relationship with scriptures than you presently do. Give it a try, right? Find one person. Just walk up to someone today and say, hey, give me your, give me your signal handle. Let's verify each other on signal. Or I'm just kidding. That's a texting app. Just send them a, a message, and I am, and say, hey, can we just communicate about scripture this week? You know, read, read one thing a day and just share one observation that you have from it. Let's see what happens. Hebrews 3.13 says this. It says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You, you hear that? The author is saying is that we are constantly under the attack of hardening, and God's chosen method to resist it is community. It's living in community. What does that mean? It means living in talking about the Lord with others. Now, the third way to do this so we talked about uh, having your mind, having, changing the diet, right? And then, you know, food is better in community, right? Just like food is better in community, scripture is better in community, right? So we're talking about how you consume uh, the scriptures, how are you dealing with it? And then the last thing is uh, actually putting your money where your mouth is, right? Reevaluating the choices that you use, that you make as pertains to possessions. Now, in our passage, we see this in a couple of places, right? So what, what Jesus says, uh, first of all, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Like, make an investment in the age to come, right? Additionally, what he will say in verse 33, he says, instead of worrying about provision, right? Instead of fearing provision, fearing the lack of provision, as an alternative approach, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right, so he says, exchange worry for a pursuit of God's kingdom. And when it comes to our money and possessions, you know, one of the ways that we do that, the way that the church has always done that, the way that Christians have always done that, is through practicing increased generosity. Right? And I'll tell you that this is another reason why I pivoted and began to talk about this. Right? One of the things that I found is that when there is a dysfunction right, in your practice of biblical generosity, it always impacts you spiritually and emotionally, always, right? So again, we just made budget, 
So I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all, okay? We've gone for 11 years making budgets, so I've learned to trust the Lord with the church, and so I'm not interested in that right now this morning, okay? Right? And it's Laura's problem anyway, so I don't, you know, talk to her about that. But in all seriousness, I'm not up here trying to fund anything other than your joy. And so one of the ways that we do that is God gives us the guidance of the tithe, right? What's the tithe? I, I love it when people say to me, they're like, Darren, I tithe 2%. And I'm like, how's that work? I, I'm not following that. I tithe 2%. Now, the reason I say that is because the word tithe means tenth, right? It means, you know, you take what God gives you, the, the money that he gives you, you move the decimal place over a couple points, and then you say, Lord, I'm going to give back this percentage, right, which is 10%, not, you don't tithe 1%, that's, you know, we have to work on our education in this country if, if that's the case, no offense, you know, and thank you to your teachers who are, who are helping us with that, right? You give back 10%, right, as an offering of worship to God, okay? Now, a lot of us pastors and Christians go through this journey where we say, you know, I used to think that 10% was like God's design, but now I know that it's like in the New Testament, it's not a thing anymore, right? But I will tell you that I have become thoroughly convinced that 10% is a thing, and I'll give you a couple reasons, right? The first is practical, you know, and I got to really credit Tim Keller for this. Uh, we credit Tim Keller for a lot of things. You know, I don't, I don't preach to you a lot of new things up here. I usually just find things from other people and preach those to you. He said this, it was really helpful. He said, you know, when it comes to the area of money, he said, it, money is one of the things that we can be extremely compromised in, right? You know, so, so in other words, if you were to say, oh, I want to be generous, you know, what we find as pastors is that most people say, I want to be really generous, pastor. I want to just give to the Lord. And what we find is that it's usually somewhere in the area of about two to four percent, right? And folks are like, I'm super generous, right? You know, and I have a question for you. Like, are you really? Like, how do you know? I mean, you could make more sacrifices, right? And that's sort of a challenge is that we find that there's always ways to be more generous, right? And there's always ways in which we might be less generous. So how in the world are we to know, given the deceitfulness of our own hearts, given the problems in our own soul, given the tendency of us to justify all kinds of things, Right? How in the world are we to know whether we're actually giving in biblical proportions or not? Right? And to which we might say, well, you know, God gave us a number. Right? All the way in the Old Testament, all the way actually before Moses, he gives it to Abraham. And this was, by the way, biblically the thing that persuaded me beyond a shadow of a doubt of the value of the tithe. Right? And what Tim Keller says, he says, look, 10% is, an, is a really interesting number because it's no matter how much money you make, it's enough to be painful. It's enough to change the, the, the standard of living that you have. On the other hand, it's not so much as to be completely and utterly, profoundly overwhelming. And what it does is it forces you to, is, as an act of worship, lay down part of your possessions before the Lord and to say, Lord, you are the one that rules my possessions, not me. And that act of faith I have seen bring financial healing to people, I want to tell you. I have watched people who have struggled under all kinds of debt, who have struggled under just being completely discouraged and depressed about money. I've watched them make steps toward 
a, a biblical tithe, and I've seen God bring healing in that, right? And so, you know, wherever you are in that spectrum, if you don't give anything uh, in, gener- in generosity to the Lord or whether you're giving, you know, 20%, what I want to encourage you is I want to encourage you to take steps this year, to be intentional about it, right? If you're not giving 10%, I want to encourage you, maybe you give 1%, I want to encourage you to, to give 2 Right, to, to te- you know, it's interesting. This is the one topic in all of Holy Scripture where God says, I invite you to test me. Right, it's an extraordinary thing given the command, do not put the Lord to the test. It's like the one exception to that. Right, there's some, sometimes there are exceptions. There's one time where God says, I invite you to test me. And so take steps towards that, right? You know, at Ironworks, we, we, we ask of members to, to commit to tithing 10% to our general fund, and then we also have our mercy fund. We have uh, ministries we support, such as PXV Refuge, and then we're actually beginning to work on uh, reinvigorating our missions program. We've reached out to unreached people groups in the past, and we're excited to look at, you know, how the Lord will lead us in missions this year, so we're going to be having some special funds for that. So maybe you already give 10%. Maybe there are opportunities to give to PXV Refuge, or to give towards missions, right? Or just to give to your neighbors in some ways. I want to challenge and exhort you to think about how might I make a bigger investment in God's kingdom this year? And I'll love to see what happens. I'll love to see how it affects your joy. So that's the last thing um, I, I have on this is I want you to be intentional about your money this year, right? And, and put the Lord to the test and see what he does. See, see, see what happens to your anxiety. See what happens to the quality of your sleep uh, this year in accordance with this word. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as I was thinking about this, you know, Christ uses this language of clothing. He says, you know, God's going to clothe you, which, of course, in those days and times, clothing was to some degree a luxury, right? He says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And what, of course, is interesting is that if you know the story of scriptures, If you know the story of Jesus Christ, what happened to him? Well, he knew that he was headed towards a place where these Roman soldiers would basically barter over buying his clothing as he would be stripped of everything that he was and everything that he had. That he would be made an absolute mockery. That this promise, how much more will he clothe you, would be suspended for his life. As Jesus goes to the cross, as as they barter over his clothing, as he's stripped of everything that he has, the Apostle Paul reflects on that event and he says, you know the grace of God. You know that he who was rich for your sakes became poor so that through him you might become rich. Do you see that in the gospel? I, I want you to open the eyes of your soul to behold the Lord Jesus Christ giving up everything, giving up his position in heaven. He says, I didn't, I didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, taking on the form of absolute poverty so that you could have his promises this morning so that you can be done with fear and anxiety and worry that you don't have to be a slave to this world's system anymore. That is what we're after this morning. We are after your freedom. We are after your joy. We are after his kingdom. And in this life and in this world, every single message you will hear will scream in absolute opposition. And all it will accomplish is more anxiety, more fear, 
more sleepless nights, more slavish behavior. But friends, I will tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ says, that's not my way for you. My way for you is freedom. My way for you is joy. My way for you is provision. My way for you is a deepening of your faith. My way for you is to shut off, to to extinguish the darkness that is flooding your eyes 24-7 and to replace it with the light of Christ. So I want to exhort you to go together. Find a friend. Let's walk this road together this year. Let's walk the year. Let's walk the path of life. Let's increase our generosity. Let's deepen our faith Let's deepen our joy together and let's see what he does in response. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Lord, there is none like you who would give up all things so that your enemies could have an abundance. That is what we read on the pages of Holy Scripture. And Lord, in response, we we bow down before you. We fall at your feet. We adore you. We worship you. We praise you. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling this morning, whether they're struggling with fear, they're struggling with just letting go. God, I pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your spirit would flood this place and do something remarkable this year. I pray for an increase of your kingdom in Phoenixville. I pray that our neighbors would see something they cannot explain in in the area of generosity and just in the area of freedom. That freedom is a powerful message to our culture. And Lord, I pray that it would, would shine brightly this year. Lord, would you please do a work among us in the reading and discussing of Scripture? Would you please increase our generosity? Would you, would you let PXV Refuge be overflowing with resources? Would you allow world missions to go forward boldly in a time where the message is so profoundly needed? Would you continue to increase our influence here as you would see fit as we're faithful? Lord, would you do a work in our time because we've heard of your deeds of old and we ask that you would renew them because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, friends, uh, I want to invite you to stand as we approach this table. Uh, This table represents the feast that is coming. This table represents the time where you will experience the lavishness of Christ like never before. And so I want us to walk through this liturgy together. Dear Ironworks Church, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. Yes, Lord, it is right to give you thanks and praise, for you have been abundant. You will be abundant, and you will bring an end to all that is wrong with this world as you usher forth your kingdom. And so it is that we want to praise you and adore you with all the company of heaven in their unending hymn of praise. Let's sing together.